Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. I am your host, Andre, and today I am joined here by my good friends, Owen and Vansh. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic, Andre. Really, really good to be here. Um, really excited about this show and uh, mm-hmm. looking forward to uh, talking some some questions from our listeners we actually have uh, this week uh, since... Uh... Yeah, don't, don't give it away. Don't give it away yet. Like, I, I mean, let me do my thing. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll toss it up to you right back. Uh, Owen, how are you doing, man? Doing well, thanks. Uh, every time we do an episode, it's, uh, it's a fun time. So looking forward to it. Yeah. And as uh, Von Shardy jumped a gun for me, no problem, Von, by the way. No hard, no hard feelings. <laughs> Let the cat out of the bag We are doing quick. a special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are you're too excited. Yeah. <laughs> One, this is the podcast equivalent of a football. <laughs> oh no! Wow, we should have actually a podcast like just named football. <laughs> uh, but in any case, uh, this is a special episode. This is the first time that we actually um, have questions from listeners and our good friends on Twitter who interact with us most of the time. We got enough of a listenership so that we could do that, and we're really excited because it, it's it's really fun for uh, a couple of reasons. One, it gives us some sort of a um, confirmation that people enjoyed this and they kind of want us to answer stuff and talk about tennis, which is something that we already like to do regardless. And I don't know, too, because it's it's just very encouraging and nice to engage uh, with uh, listeners in various different forms, too. Twitter is obviously the most um, common of them that we do all the time through our personal accounts and through Tennis and Bagels accounts. And also because we can now talk through those questions, which is much better in terms of expressing ourselves <clears throat> since um, 280 characters sometimes is not enough. And uh, let's go for it then. Vosh, what do you got for us? Like you started this idea. So how about you explain it a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, I, I had the crazy, I had a, I guess not crazy idea. It's more just, it more just came out of, uh, came out of my uh, sense that this week, um, you know, we haven't really, because the ATP Cup starts next week and the Australian Open is, you know, the week after and we've got a bunch of tournaments, you know, I feel like this is a, and everybody, all the players are quarantining. This would be a good time to really engage with our viewers and, you know, get a, get a good feel for how, how, um, how, how a podcast could look like, um, you know, where we just answer listener questions. So I thought, why, let's open it up. Let's make it kind of a potpourri or a mailbag format and let's just see um you know what gets thrown at us anything tennis related and we got quite a few uh, excellent questions that i think we're all really excited to get into so um yeah we got we got quite a few coming in on the twitter account actually uh, yesterday and today from the, from our tennis and beagles podcast you can follow us at tennis and beagles and um you know 
Owen Lewis as well. Uh, Owen, you have uh, a lot of good questions uh, from your account as well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we all retweeted them. Um, so I, I have a couple here. And I want to say um, thanks to everyone who tweeted questions. Twitter has been a great platform for us to talk about tennis. I was it like intensified my tennis fandom. So, um, so yeah, thanks to everyone. And um, you guys okay for me to get started? Go with ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so our first question is from uh, Shivam Bhatia at I underscore M underscore SO7. And this is a great question. We actually had an intense debate about it uh, in our podcast group chat after we saw it. And what this uh, this question is, who was better on grass overall, Nadal or Murray? So what do you guys think? Yeah, I think this is a very fascinating question, Shivam. Uh, thanks for asking this because um, I've often wondered this uh, question to myself. You know, they've both won two Wimbledon titles. Of course, Nadal being uh, the best clay court player of all time and... You know, he had to figure out early in his career really how to adapt to the faster grass and adapt his game, uh, you know, sh- you know, improve his return of serve, you know, get more aggressive, you know, work on his neck game, beef up the serve, all these kind of adjustments he's had to make. And, you know, he was playing Roger Federer in his prime and they had a good stretch of three Wimbledon finals together. And each year Nadal kept getting closer and closer before finally winning, you know, what some consider to be the greatest match of, of all time, uh, you know, with all the rain delays and all the all the hype and and Nadal coming off the easy French Open win, uh, winning at 9-7 in the fifth in the final in 2008. But then you have a guy like Andy Murray, whose game is just so perfectly suited to grass, and he's had such a consistent stretch at Wimbledon. And obviously, a lot of pressure has been put on him to get that uh, elusive Wimbledon title, which he eventually got in 2013. And 2016 as well, he backed it up. But I mean, I, I, you know, for this question, I think... Um, who is the better on grass overall? I think it's asking for a more, uh, you know, broader perspective on their career as a whole. And so therefore I had to look at, uh, I, I, I was really interested to see, you know, what the stats were in this case, because grass isn't just Wimbledon, you know, it also includes the lead up tournaments like Queens, which is a prestigious ATP 500, which, you know, Andy Murray has won five times and he's done really well, um, you know, against really all of his competitors. He has a win over Djokovic um, at the Olympics. He beat him at Wimbledon to win the uh, win that final in that epic last game in 2013. He's obviously beaten Roger decisively um, at the 2012 Wimbledon, uh, 2012 Olympics. Actually, he won the gold medal there. And so, you know, it's it's quite a fascinating debate. And I guess if I just jump right into the stats, and then uh, you guys can jump in afterwards. But uh, if we mm. look at Nadal overall, I mean, on grass. Uh, he's had a bit of a slump, I'd say, 2012 to 2017, when he was, uh, you know, kind of losing in the early early weeks. He lost to Rasol and Brown and Kyrgios and those kind of losses. But, you know, if you look at early in his career, I mean, 2006 to 2011, he was either reaching the finals of Wimbledon or winning it. Obviously, he won Queens as well in 2008. So he has a total of four career titles, two of them being Wimbledon. He's obviously been in three Wimbledon finals. So he's a great grass court player himself. But I had to look at the records, and what really shocked me is that you know, Nadal has a 71 and 20 record on grass, which is about a 78% win percentage. That he's only played 91 matches on grass, and I think one of the reasons for that is that he comes off a really tiring clay court season, where he's played you know a lot of tennis, a lot of matches on the body, and oftentimes he hasn't had a great warm up leading in. You know, the warm up, the lead in tournaments were so close together, and it was just two weeks in between the end of Roland Garros and. Uh, I believe Wimbledon, and they changed that in 2014 only. So, and and I looked at his record. So it's 71 and 20 on grass overall. Murray, meanwhile, has a 107 and 21 record on grass. So you know, plenty more wins and just one more loss. 
And you look at his Wimbledon record, he has an 85% winning percentage there. And he's won, even though he's reached, you know, two less Wimbledon finals than Nadal, I mean, he's really, I'd say overall, he's had a better career um, on grass, you know. So I guess those are just uh, some of the stats. And then overall, he also has a higher winning percentage on grass overall. As well, I mentioned the five titles in Queens. Um, he's obviously won two Wimbledons and he's won the Olympics. To Nadal's four titles, he's won two Wimbledons, uh, one Queens and one Stuttgart title, which is a 250. So I guess, uh, you know, I mean, what are your guys' thoughts? This is a great debate. I'd say consistent overall, who's the best? I'd say Murray. But peak level, I'd go with Nadal. But I guess the question was, who was the best, you know, overall? So I went with Murray. Hmm. I think I think it's interesting where you touch on a point was like right at the end there, which is interesting is um, who's better peak. And uh, that's that's what I think is interesting. And we we're actually discussing this on the on the chat as well, which is that Murray and Nadal never really kind of met on grass uh, while at their like yeah. peaks, like at the same time, which kind of makes it a little bit difficult. And the um, the head to heads be and between them on grass, which is uh, three meetings at Wimbledon, um, a little bit deceiving, especially considering the first two thousand and eight one where Murray was, um, yeah, not pretty much nowhere near what his his actual level. And <laughs> when I went out to look the actual head to head between them, the Two matches that they've played before were not that um, that terrible, you know. Nadal won three tight sets in 2010 and one and four the year after in 2011. Yeah. Granted, he kind of dominated the last three sets of the 2011 meeting, but um, all in all, I think the biggest problem that Murray had against Nadal in those years is that Murray was just not the same Murray that won the title in 2013, or the same Murray that got to the final against Roger Federer, who, by the way, uh, in 2012 in Wimbledon, just kind of hit a little bit of a god mode um, in the in the three sets to win the, the match. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the final was Federer just completely played like a fantastic match after that. And the Olympics won. Uh, he definitely took a long time to, to um, find a little bit of a, a gear and... Murray just never really let him into that match. Like he just saw Federer's not playing well. I'm not even gonna let him figure it out. Like he was just dominating. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, if if they're both at a hundred percent of the time, like a hundred percent of the form, a hundred percent of the entire match, I think I would give an, a slight edge to Murray on on that one match. Yeah, but I feel like it would be like a fifty five percent versus forty five on Nadal. Like, this is how much I lean towards Murray in that sense, yeah. but it, it it's the type of match that uh, ideal in a, an ideal world would in a sense go either way. I would I would say so. It's it's a really really tough call, and one of the things that Murray has, and I feel like Nadal uh, adapted but doesn't necessarily have, would be like the the flatter shots um, on the on the on the backhand. He does got it. He's, he's pretty good, but like the the forehand, he can kind of lack a little bit of that action and you know he he does compensate a lot very well with like a lot of accuracy and net clearance and another thing that murray's game has which is a little bit better is the first serve which earns him a lot more aces and makes it a little bit harder to um return which by the way um, the return wouldn't you andre i mean the yeah, better reflexors. Yeah, are I mean, so if, you, just, if you actually watch yeah. a little bit of the highlights on the which which I was doing like before that, it's um, the extended ones for 2010. 
Uh, Nadal is actually returning pretty well. He was returning close to, closer to the baseline, right. trying to get balls early. And he was doing well even off of the forehand, which was uh, interesting to me. Murray did hit him more return winners, per, per, as per what I saw. Um, but yeah, I feel like on return is a, in, is a little bit more um, nuanced. But on on serve, uh, I think Murray was pretty, in pretty much every Nadal's, every single one of Nadal's games. He had a lot mm. of chances in that match, but just failed to take them. I think credit to Nadal, obviously, but also the fact that Murray was a little bit too passive <laughs> a lot of yeah. times, which is, has been a, lot, a big problem in Murray's career uh, overall, is that he can become too passive, especially if the forehand cross-court drops, drops short, and even on Nadal's backhand, that's suicide. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, I think it's tough to judge their head-to-head because you mentioned Murray not really taking his chances and that could be chalked up to mental toughness but as you said he wasn't yet in his prime and I don't think mental toughness is something specific to grass so you guys made a ton of great points so I'll just uh, give a quick summary of what I think this like this is a great question that I think gets harder to answer the more I think about it. Uh, Nadal's been to more Wimbledon finals. Uh, I think his peak on grass is higher, but Murray is definitely the steadier player on grass. His dips are less severe than Nadal's. So I think if I were picking a player at their best to win me a Wimbledon title and I had to pick one of them, I would pick Nadal. But if I'm saying which player is better adapted to grass as a surface and who has had overall a better career on grass, I would pick Murray. Yeah. yeah, I think on the on the on terms of subjectiveness, like who would beat the other, I think mm-hmm. it, it it definitely gets a little bit more complicated. But in terms of a career success, it's it's definitely got to be Murray. Even though uh, it's got to be said that Nadal beating Roger Federer in two thousand and eight was a heck of an achievement. Yeah, like, I mean, and that be was the best. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. seen Nadal really play on grass. I mean, that Queen stretch yeah. and that Wimbledon stretch. I mean, he was just on terror and on mm-hmm. a mission. Yeah. And that's when and by, and on and Queens he beat Djokovic in the yes. final in the three tight yes. sets too. So really, he re- he really did. And you know he came right the week after French Open. I'll never forget. I mean he had such a tough match against Ivo Karlovic. You can imagine how tough Ivo Karlovic is on grass. You know, especially uh-huh. against Nadal's clay court yeah. game. And he, he gonna get in like yeah, one return. And, the I, mean, ball, I mean it was basically a serve dominated performance, and he won it like seven six in the third. And I think that gave him so much confidence. He then rolled through Andy Roddick and he played a really good that was a good final against Djokovic in 2008 they were both playing really well and so I think mm. uh, you know and then just coming right into Wimbledon I mean he didn't drop any he dropped just one set onto the way to the final he was returning like you said Andre closer to the baseline you know taking his chances serving his serve placement is was was really good throughout that whole tournament and of course the epic finish against Federer so you know, I think I agree with, I think we're all in agreement that Nadal's peak level, mm. you know, which was what we saw in 2008, 2010, you know, it's definitely, you know, a little higher than Murray's. But I think overall, I think Murray's had a better career on grass. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. agree. Great, great question, Shivam. I mean, really, this was multidimensional yeah. Yeah, thank and you. heavily nuanced. <laughs> yeah. It's so, very so difficult. We'll, yeah. we'll we spent yeah. so long on this. We've got we to speed this yeah. up now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. We'll, all right. We'll move on to the next question. This is from uh, yeah. Brando, and he says, um, "Where do you see FAA and Chapo this year? Can Chapo break the top eight? So, um, I'll give a quick answer to this one, and then uh, you guys can go. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think. So first, I'll give uh, a straightforward answer. I don't think Chapo will break the top eight. I think Rublev, who took the eight spot at the end of 2020, his game is more polished than Chapo's. I think Chapo needs to." develop some of the finer points of his game before he can play at that level but i 
I wouldn't be too shocked if he did make it. And um, as for FAA, I think he has a lot of promise. He's got a great serve. He's good power. Uh, I think he moves really well. But he kind of struggles with timing and long rallies. He needs to develop a bit more shot tolerance, I think. And I think the match he played against his team at the U.S. Open quarters last year uh, was pretty revealing. He he played him tight for a set, got to a tiebreak, I think. But then he was completely dominated in the last two sets. And so I think that was sort of an example of the difference between a good player and a great player. And I think just having more match practice in the next few years is going to help him approach, if not maybe get to team's level. So I think at the end of... Uh, do you guys know what FAA is ranked yeah, at right now? Yeah, in the world. In the 30s? 21. 21. Yeah. T- 21? So, okay, so I'll, I'll say maybe. I honestly don't see him moving a yeah. whole lot. I'll say maybe he cracks the top 15, but I don't think he gets much further than mm-hmm. that. And then Chapeau, is he, he's maybe 11th yeah, he's or 12th, 12th right, right now? right now, and he's, you know, he cracked the top 10 for about one week last year. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so I'll say he ends 2021. Yeah, tenth. I mean, those are, that's, that's a great pick. I, I, I definitely, the, the problem with... Um, this question, I mean, breaking the top eight, I think you have to keep in mind that the rankings will fall off at the end of March. So before we had like a two-year right. ranking system where you could take the best result from 2019-2020. And I think all those 2019 points uh, are going to come off. And I think Chapo has a lot to defend uh, because he did so well in 2019 after the U.S. Open. Mm. And so that's going to be tough for him with like the Paris Masters and all of that if those tournaments get played. Um, but I do think like he has the kind of game where I don't see him putting it together consistently yet. I think he has so many options, so many great shots, so super explosive. Um, obviously made the U.S. Open quarterfinals, so still has some polishing and, and, and work to do, but he's gradually getting a little bit better each year. I, I do think it is possible for him to sneak into the top eight, maybe, but the problem is, is that I just don't see Djokovic in it all, Medvedev team, you know, Federer if he comes back to a, a decent level. And same with Tsitsipas and Rublev and Zverev. I mean, I just don't see anybody dropping off, you know, because they're just they're they're continually mm-hmm. making progress. And they're, I mean, unless mm-hmm. Zverev just has like, you know, even Zverev, he can put it together for a few weeks. So, I think uh, it's very reasonable that he finishes ninth or tenth, uh, beginning to get to the top eighth, because he really just needs. I think the ranking system, if you have a great result in a Masters one thousand or a Slam, it really rewards you more than week in week out consistency sometimes. Because the points are just skewed so yeah. much towards quarterfinals and beyond, so I really feel like like if he can make another Masters final or he makes like a two Grand Slam quarters or maybe one Grand Slam semi if a draw opens up, you know then it's it's entirely possible that he could be ninth in the world, and maybe take away that mantle from like a Schwartzman or a Berrettini. So can he can mm. he break the top eight? I think he'll need a little bit of help. I, I really do mm. because I I do think yeah. Rublev and Zverev and these guys are all still ahead, are still ahead of him, yeah. um in terms of development. Yeah. Um, as for FAA, I was, uh, you know, impressed with his U.S. Open. Obviously, when you know, we know when the forehand and serve is working, um, it's it, it can be good. But it's just, you know, the consistency, the double faults. There's still a lot of question marks in his game. Sometimes the shot selection. Sometimes he he plays really good shots, but then often times he can't seem to finish the point. So his IQ sometimes yeah. um, is a little bit. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical of that sometimes. But I do, I do think, yeah, he has the weapons. He's a great athlete. He's a great mover. He's got all the tools. It's just about, you know, putting it together. And I, I, I do think he'll finish the year in the top twenty. You know, I just don't mm. know whether whether top ten. I think he needs a couple more years. Yeah. 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 I just kind of short answer. I fully agree with everything that you guys said. Uh, I think in terms of goals, what they should be probably putting in their heads, maybe FAA would be trying to 
crack and stay inside of the top 20 and maybe winning one or two titles this year big goal winning his first because that should totally be 100 where his mind is set right now uh, on the short term and for shapovalov i feel like he could also uh, use a couple more um, wins and maybe trying to make a couple deep um, deep runs inside of a grand slam or uh, a masters 1000 and um for for him i think he could he could have a, a big goal of like uh, cracking and staying inside of the top 10 he should probably be thinking that this is more than possible since he already done it before yeah, one but week, staying one week there is probably year. what's going to be so. difficult but yeah, yeah. whether they're going to be doing this or not it really will depend on what you guys said about like their um their iq or shot selection um whether they can find Shapovalov can can find a way to keep his nerves under control and FAA can keep his uh, mm-hmm. his cool under control as well, like in terms of like making better decisions. But other than that, like I I don't I don't see why they wouldn't be able to you know inch ever so closer to uh, being at the top yeah, of their I, games. I totally agree. I think mm-hmm. one uh, thing they they need to keep track of we need to keep track of is their second serve numbers and their double fault ratios because yeah, those are for sure. those yeah. can be a bit worrying when they tighten up under pressure. You sometimes see a lot of double faults, mm-hmm. and you know hopefully you know they've worked on that over the off season and we we start to see those those doubts uh, yeah. creep in less and less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andre, I had a quick question for you about this. Um, you're probably more familiar with Canadian tennis than we are. So I was wondering, how do you feel about these guys' promise compared to maybe Raonic when he was their age? Do you mm-hmm. think they have the potential to surpass uh, Raonic's career? I think so. The, the one thing that Raonic had, and, and it's it's really sad in that way, Andrescu is definitely the, the combination of the entire male tennis uh, cohort, cohort in one player, which is mm-hmm. being good on in the hands and good in the head, which is... What Raonic had is that he understood himself incredibly well. That's why he was able to push Federer so far and, you know, push Murray and, and Djokovic, those guys. He can win sets and win win titles and push for big titles, even though he didn't win one. Um, whereas um, Shapovalov and Aliasim, they're just kind of lacking in that mental department. And that's... I feel like, as as for a promise... Absolutely. I feel like uh, Aliasim and Shapovalov are bigger promises because they can show that they have the shots. They have the, the forehand that can go deep and penetrate. They have the net game, which is solid. Service there as well. It's not like they lack one. They're, they're tall guys. They move well as well. They're explosive. If they can control that power, maybe Raonic can jump in and like give them some tips on like how to actually become that player and he, how, how to keep your cool under um, tough situations. Um, so if that happens, I feel like they can surpass Ranić's career. I wouldn't put it past like them both to like may- maybe make a couple Grand Slam finals, even maybe win one, um, depending on how much better they can get. But I think that they can grow much more than Ranić could. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. So, yeah. I think Ranić was, you know, Ranić is a better model model for consistency when he's healthy. You feel like when he's mm-hmm. healthy, you know, he's still probably maybe the best Canadian right now. And he's still, you yeah. know, still top 15 and even with all of his injuries and super good on grass. I really think if he was in another mm-hmm. era, he might have already won a Wimbledon title because he's yeah. just that good on grass. Just the combinations you see at the forehand, the inside in, inside out, come to the net, you know, great serve, great second serve, one yeah. of the best in the game, you know. And mm-hmm. He's got yeah. good clearance too I mean, when, when it's clicking. Lots of soft spin. And when it's clicking yeah. and he yeah. can set it up nicely with the backhand slice, you know, he's got a nice kind of a modern game. I kind of wonder sometimes if he played in the 90s, he could have sneaked a couple of Wimbledons. 
So I, 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 sure. I do think, yeah. you know, yeah, like he's he's the model for consistency. But like you said, like I think, uh, you know, FAA and Chapo, you know, if they can just put it together, rein and harness their power, I, I think I can see them, you know, with the, the, the potential and the talent level is, is obviously there. And the standard is going to drop to win a major. The standard to drop, the standard to win a major will drop when the big three are, are gone, you know. And, you know, that could be... 2025 yeah. 2024 you know something something along those lines so it's absolutely yeah, possible sure. yeah. yeah yeah the yeah. other question that we uh... do you have any others from uh, owen's account yeah oh, yeah, yeah we, sure. we have one more we'll, we'll try to speed up the questions because yeah. we spent a lot yeah. of time on the first two hmm. it's from uh, pj sport and he says why is tennis channel not covering atp cup didn't last year earlier i honestly have no idea my guess would be because it's a relatively new tournament and tennis channel might have to secure the rights yeah. to it which they might not have gotten around to yet but it's a shame because the atp cup's a really entertaining tournament i i would love for tennis channel to have yeah, it. I, would yeah. love for it. I feel like this could could all go back into the the times where we spoke about the lack of unification in terms of how tennis <laughs> right. uh, streams their stuff but, yeah, we yeah. do not need to get into yeah. that fight now, do we? And another problem that we have with this is that we are also just very, um, just amateurs lo- loving tennis as fans, so we don't necessarily get a lot of that uh, inside information or explanation for fully um, how the things work internally or like in in a structural way. So it's very sad that we cannot answer this question properly. But yeah, the short answer is we yeah, don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, we, we could try I to tag someone that I, I would assume that by next year, um, you know, assuming everything gets back to normal with the pandemic and stuff, it is very possible that they actually will be covering it because Tennis Channel, um, if you remember last year, um, November, they now have access to all the Masters one thousands, uh, many of mm. the five hundreds, many of the two fifties. And I guess with ATP Cup being like a like a new event, and last year, you know, they didn't have the rights, and because they didn't have a r- rights to a lot of the Masters and big uh, events there, and this is kind of in between a 500 yeah. and a 1,000 in terms of like ATP points for the winner. Yeah, maybe maybe they're maybe this in the in the yeah, in the think, process so of getting they're it. They're so in the process of it, it. And, yeah. I, and I think this year, I mean, it's so hard because you have six tournaments next week, which is like the most that there's ever been in a week, and obviously with the with the, the Australia situation with different courts being used for different, you know, as supposedly different venues with different tournament names, but they're all part of the Melbourne courts. It's probably hard to cover everything, and especially because they're all in the yeah. same time zone. So I do think they'll have you covered for, like, the WTA 500s, the, you know, the Murray Open or whatever the tournament's names are called. I'm still getting used to those uh, as far as next week is concerned. But, PJ, if you're looking for a place to watch it, um, they are – it is on Tennis TV, Uh so if you have a subscription to that, you can definitely check that out, um, as well as like Prime Video Sport if you're in the UK. So they, are, they will mm. be covering that as well. But yeah, unfortunately, we don't know the answers. But uh, good yeah. question. Um, now I, I go over to the Tennis and Bagels account, and Sri Hari Ravi has uh, asked, yeah. you know, will team finally win a big title on clay? I mean, my answer to this is like, you know, you got to think so. I mean, he's too just too good not to. Two French Open finals. So obviously made the final in Madrid in 2017. Um, Rome and it's just that Rome and Monte Carlo weren't played in 2020. Otherwise, I would have given him a really good shot. He's definitely shown he can beat Nadal in the best of three set match. Rome was played. Uh, sorry, the one yeah, that Rome, wasn't, was, Rome uh, was played um, yeah. uh, post U.S. Open, but, but uh, he, he skipped, he skipped it. it though. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He so skipped he that tournament it. because of the um, the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open, US Open win. Yeah. yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. I mean, it's I I I think he can. 
he can definitely win a big title. I, I think he could do yeah. it this year. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't. I don't see anything uh, stopping yeah. him from like. I, for example, I would probably say like, well, if he meets Nadal, then it's another talk. Maybe he, maybe he will have a chance. Maybe not. It's a little bit of like a a, a guess in the, in a way. But other than that, uh, I feel like he he's got everything to win a, a big title. If he doesn't, um, I mean. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it's because of uh, anything that he, unless he does it really wrong. But I don't think it will. Like I feel like it's. I think it's it's his to take. Honestly, like it, if he, if he can find himself in like in a position to win, I don't see why he wouldn't. That's my yeah. biggest take on I, it. I agree. Going back to 2017, he's been the second best clay court player on the ATP yeah. behind Rafa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's seven years younger than him, so it's really really hard to imagine that he doesn't. I think if not while Rafa's still playing, then it'll be after. Um, I think he'll at least get one French Open. I think he's good enough to get a few. It may not happen, but yeah, it's like it, it's a resounding yes from me. I think mm-hmm. um, at the least he'll get a couple Masters 1000s, probably yeah. Roland Garros as well. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, good question. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Should, should we segue that into, is this the year team defeats Rafa at Roland Garros from next-gen tennis team? Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing is, as long as Rafa is breathing air... I wouldn't bet him out of Roland Garros. It's just so hard. I think, yeah. uh, you know, team will have to conserve his energy. He'll have to obviously get to the semis and quarterfinals quickly. It just depends on his draw. I mean, if he's playing Djokovic in the semis again, you know, and they're, they're still... Uh, that, that was such yeah, bad luck I mean, in 2019. I mean, they're so evenly mm. matched there. And, and that's another reason why he hasn't won a Masters as well, I'd say, is because, you know, you have to still, again, you have to beat two out of the three, at least two of the three, if not more than two top ten players in in route. And like in Madrid, he he yeah. beat Federer. He saved him a couple of match points. Next day, you got to play Djokovic. It's a, it's a quick turnaround, and then potentially Nadal. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and and you know, I I, I do think like Tsitsipas is getting better at, at the French Open. You know, I think you know Schwartzman. Obviously, the loss that he took to Schwartzman wasn't bad at all uh, this year because of his French Open win. I mean, his U.S. Open run and run to the title, and he obviously didn't have any time at all to prepare for the for the swing. So. You know, quarterfinals from that standpoint was a good result. It's like, yeah, he he needs some help. He'll, he'll need some help from the draw, you know? If he's, you know, mm-hmm. let's say if Djokovic loses early and then he has a potentially easier semi, if he's an adult semi, it's going to be quite tough, I'd say. So I, I'd say I'd say it depends on the draw, but I think, but I think um, you know, if they play their best against each other, yeah, I see like a, like a four-set win for Nadal. Or maybe, you know, yeah. maybe five yeah. sets because wonder, he is getting closer uh, and closer closer every year yeah. it's just you yeah. know some of those hardcore some of that hardcore game like for i'll say for nadal some of the hardcore aggression that he's added in his game and you know coming to the net more serving and volleying more that's actually helped him a lot on clay especially these last four years I've, I've noticed that he's finishing points quickly even on the clay he's coming to the net volleying using his touch even on the clay and so he has all that options plus he, he's the best defensive mover ever and so it's like you know yeah is he is he probably is he better than he was 2005 2006 hard to say but he's definitely more complete and more developed and he's adapted better than anybody so i think that's something that mm-hmm. team is doing and he's done that well on the hard courts now let's see how it transfers over to the to the clay on a french open yeah. when he's actually fully fit 100% ready to go in like 2020 yeah yeah um yeah i, I would say uh, probably along the same lines as well <laughs> i feel like one of the the interesting things about this question is that team needs to meet Rafa and Roland Garros for that to have a chance to happening. And, uh, you know, 
it, year year by year, like years go by, and Nadal keeps winning Roland Garros, but it probably doesn't get any easier every year. He doesn't get any younger. Mm-hmm. Who knows, like what what's gonna happen? Every the question mark grows a little bit bigger. Uh, even though, like, we're not really trying to say that much out loud because every time that we ask this question, will Rafa Nadal win? He most yeah, likely yeah. wins. And uh, case in point, 102. Uh, I mean, 100 to 2. So, 100 wins, 2 two, two defeats, one of them to Djokovic in one of the years that he was actually in, in the worst shape of yeah. his life. Um, yeah. So, if 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 team can, can beat Rafa, I don't know. I feel like this is probably the least uh, answerable question that we've gotten because it's... It depends on so many things and depends on, on the draws, as Vansh said. It depends on how team's feeling that day, how Rafa's feeling on that day, how much practice did they get, how much confidence does team have on his game. It depends on the small margins of, like, can team uh, take those break points or uh, set points when you have them. Um, when I mean, it's, it's such a tough uh, question to think ahead, especially not having seen them play on on clay this year yet so yeah yeah you will definitely yeah, I, take a take a good look we will be more prepared to answer a question like this after uh clay season after, like, after in a row, yeah. Maybe. yeah yeah like i i agree that there's a lot of uncertainty involved but i do have to say i kind of disagree and i think that it's really unlikely to happen i think the yeah. odds that they meet at roland garros are good but i think all their previous roland garros matches just scream that it's not going to happen <laughs> they've played four times there 2014 straight sets for nadal 2018 straight sets for nadal 2017 sorry went backwards there but straight sets including a bagel 2019 was four sets but two breadsticks uh, to finish the match and so like on clay their rivalry is competitive but on in best of five on clay it's not at all it's so one-sided it's 12 sets to one many of them like very one-sided and i will say team is a great clay court player he's still improving but even though nadal's not getting any younger he didn't drop a set this year mm-hmm. he drops two sets in 2019 uh i just can't see it happening yeah. i yeah. think nadal would have to have like a 2015 yeah. year something would have to go wrong with nadal i think yeah yeah exactly. i think i, I think, think that was a little bit of like where i was trying to get like in a sense like I, mm-hmm. it depends on like how nadal is feeling most most of all things i guess and uh it's it's just hard to put to put past us as well how badly he defeated Djokovic last year. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It, it's I will definitely lean more towards Nadal winning because it just seems like this the obvious choice, as you said. But I don't know. I feel mm-hmm. like anything can happen, and like every year is a new year. Even though Nadal wins again, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing is, yeah, and, and, and like I, add, I would I say think... don't read so much into if he loses in Rome or if he loses in Madrid. I think we learned that this year as well. Yeah, that two out of three mm-hmm. sets, it's it, the margins are so so much smaller than than, than three out of five. For and sure. you know, Nadal on this court is like he, he he was almost born on this court. It's like. You, you know, three out of five right. sets here. It's the toughest ch- challenge, maybe in sports, let alone tennis. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I'd, I'd like to add really quickly that I think the fact I think team beating him at some point is very possible. Yeah. It's just that nothing happened in twenty twenty that makes me think it'll be mm-hmm. this year. I think if it happens, it'll be twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, not twenty twenty one. These are so, some of the other questions yeah. that next gen tennis ten uh, asks. Um, expectations yeah. for twenty twenty one season of Felix Ogiali. We already answered that. I'd say you know top yeah, twenty. We talked about that a little top bit. Top twenty is our um, expectations. Winning a winning a title, you know, at two fifty or five hundred level, yeah, most likely. I, which player under twenty mm. one so, are you yeah. most excited to watch this year? Hmm. I, yeah. I, I either WTA or ATP yeah. or whatever. So you, you guys, guys just give like me it. one player. Uh. Um, 
it's tough, right? Just <laughs> I was because I had three players in mind. Like, actually, I had two, and then uh, Owen reminded me of one. Um, so I had Alcaraz, who's seventeen. Right. Uh, then um, Yannick Sinner, who was a, I believe twenty or nineteen. And then there's uh, now Owen reminded me of her Igashviatek. I am excited to see either of those three guys playing. Probably. I will be more not excited, but I will be more intrigued by Sinner. I just want to see how how he does this year. It feels like this year could be important to him. So this is yeah. this is where I'm I'm you know I, I find myself looking back yeah. towards him. So what about yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. For, for me, it's uh, Sinner and Sviantek. I Like I can't wait for Roland Garros because I want to see if. Sviantek gets like upset in an early round, or if she like repeats twenty twenty uh, and just wins it without dropping a set. Yeah. Like she won it so dominantly that I think, like she would be the closest thing to a safe bet in the WTA to win it uh, again this year. So I'm really excited to see if she can back that up. And Sinner, I think um, he played Nadal pretty close at Roland Garros for a set and a half last year, mm-hmm. and so I want to see if he can build on that. That was really impressive. Let's see if maybe this year he can make a major semifinal or win a 500, maybe even go deep in a 1,000. Um, I think he's got more potential than probably any other 19, 20-year-old guy on the ATP right now. So really excited for him as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you one name from each side, I'll say, for the WTA. I was very impressed by the way Marta Kostyuk played that uh, round of 32 match against Osaka. Um, And she's only 18 years old. She broke through when she was 15. Uh, and I watched her play in Abu Dhabi, you know, uh, before the quarantine period started for these players. And she had a great run there, made the semifinals. Seems like she can, her game translates well based on her results to all the surfaces. So I'm excited to see if she can, she can make a push inside the top 50 or if not, not even higher. Um, on the men's side, yeah, I mean, Sinner, Sinner is obviously the obvious answer. Um, I would go with, hmm. I'd go with the, one of the Americans, either Korda or Nakashima. I feel like they've mm-hmm. made big strides the last couple of years and at both challenger and pro level, especially on hard courts. I'm interested to see how they do on the clay, how, you know, whether they're for sure both of them will be in the top 100. I think Korda just notched a couple of wins this week, so he's in the top 100 for the first time. He, he's had the biggest rise of arguably anybody the last six months, going from 235 to 100, and obviously making the fourth round at Roland Garros. To having some good results, winning a couple of challengers, Delray final. So, uh, and from an American perspective, since we haven't had any American male Grand Slam champions, are these guys Grand Slam champion future? Probably not, but I'm excited that we'll have a few American guys that, that'll at least contend, you know, uh, that aren't just big serve, big forehand. They've got a lot more yeah. else mm-hmm. in their game. So I'm, I'm excited for the Americans, Nakashima, Korda, and then Kostyuk on the, on the women's side. Yep. The mm-hmm. next question is, can Ugo Umber be considered a dark horse with Australian Open? I'd say, yeah, why not? I mean, dark horse means like an outside chance to get to the second week. I could see that, like a round of 16. Round. I was impressed with him last year. Mm-hmm. He won a couple of titles. Yeah. Good lefty, really nice wide serve. Opens up the court really well with it. He can get the crowd going. He's got great uh, energy on the court. He's a little bit limited on his backhand and um, you know movement sometimes, but I think he's got the game, yeah. I, I think, yeah, for the Australian Open, it may not happen at the Australian Open, but I definitely think at Wimbledon he could be a major dark horse. How about you? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, for me, I, I'm impressed how he can win matches and go f- you know, go for long matches and have the, the, the fitness for it. 
is is a is a very interesting French player yeah. now, but I feel like my short answer is uh, no. I think I would say maybe he can reach a round of sixteen, yes, but I, I would find it really hard for him to go past it, especially if he keeps going along in his matches. I can see another case of Zverev happening in that sense, like if he plays like three consecutive five setters from uh, round two up. Your chances yeah, to absolutely go not. There. Yeah, but yeah, I feel like, but I I do think he's an interesting player to watch though regardless so we'll see yeah, how he yeah. develops and to be fair every time that i talk about a player like this i am hoped to be proved i i hope to always be proved proven wrong because mm-hmm. the more good players there are the better yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree i think is he a dark horse to win now is he a dark horse horse to reach maybe the round of 16 or maybe even a quarterfinal with a comfortable yes. draw sure i think um he beat mm-hmm. oj aliasim in straights at wimbledon in 2019 so he's got the ceiling to beat uh, his his fellow next geners, um, yeah. but I think uh, if he runs into a top player in an early round, he won't beat them. Uh, I think he'll need a pretty good draw and a good performance. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, yeah. Well answered. I think. Uh, okay, I'll let you guys answer this one. Will Medvedev win a slam this year? Ooh, I mean, I mean that's tricky. Uh, I'd say. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll say yeah. I think I think he gets the U.S. Okay. Open. Um, yeah. like so I. You guys know this. I I fall victim to recency bias all the time. Um, but I saw, and so I'm I'm basically only going off the World Tour finals here. But I think if he plays at that level, he can outlast anyone. Um, I think he'll have a tougher time against Team than he will against Djokovic or Nadal. But That's a good point. I I can see him beating Djokovic or Nadal even in best of five. So I think um, b- by that point in the year, people's uh, bodies are going to be shot. Um, his, his will hold up better than most, and yeah, he wins a good the title. pick for the U.S. Open, especially because I think the the if we ever do get you know first time Grand Slam champions, they're usually always always been at the U.S. Open when the big three are a little yeah, tired. Yeah. That's by far the most open exactly. major on the men's side in the last so, twenty so I like years. That pick. Yeah. I mean, the, the last Grand Slam of the year, yeah, right? So. I, I like that pick. Yeah. I think U.S. Open or Australian Open. I think those are the maybe the only two Open Slams this year for non big three players. Yeah, yeah. So. I think it's. Agreed. I think yeah. the Australian Open could be an interesting place for him yeah. to do because I I I'm leaning more towards uh, the U.S. Open as well, but it depends on where he's at in his head because we can't forget as well that he's already been a part of a big uh, final in the U.S. Open, so it's not like he's completely unexperienced. And even in that final, right. he made he made a pretty good impression, even though it could yeah. have been like a um, first time lucky but yeah he, he was almost up 2-0 in the fifth so he he's he knows what it feels yeah, like so but so it could be interesting should he meet uh Djokovic or Nadal again uh, in this Grand Slam um depending on that I feel like he either uh wins it and and maybe go on to win the title or he gains enough experience that he can do it in the U.S. Open I, I, I also feel like mm-hmm. he wouldn't be able to do it anywhere else yes so yeah no, not a chance yeah. so Roland Garros maybe oh, he, uh, the clay court artist will, will he, come he through, should have uh, a goal win his yeah. first seven matches to win the title yeah. He should he should have a goal of at least reaching like the third round in Roland Garros. Honestly. Oh yeah, he he's got to win a match there, yeah. and he's got to win a five setter as well. True, um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to watch him in Melbourne as well. I think uh, I was disappointed with how he did in 2020 five set loss to Sam Wawrinka in the fourth round. I think he goes yeah. deeper than that yeah. this year. Oh uh, sure. yeah, so so yeah, I mean, I I also think so. Like, will he win a slam this year? I think yeah. If he does, it'll be the U.S. Open. I think I I actually predicted yeah. <laughs> a long time ago before the season started that we will have two new. We'll have one new Grand Slam finalist at the U.S. Open against somebody who's already been there. 
So mm. I'd say Medvedev mm. against a different player. So I have Medvedev winning. Mm. I think that's a pretty good prediction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say I would say Team will defend his his US Open title, that's though, even though that's pick. not a question. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I mean, you do wonder if Medvedev wins the US Open, will Team yes. get a slam this year? Yeah, it, it, it'll be tough for him because it'd have to be Australia, yeah. I think. And it's interesting like, too, right? right? Because it, it it feels like the two shouldn't happen at the same time. Team and Medvedev. Yeah, I, I, I don't win. think yeah. they both win majors in yeah. the same year. Yeah. Yeah. at least not this yeah. year. Um, and yes. uh, I guess tennis and Loha has a couple of good questions. The first one is, will you assign yeah. much, much prestige to the winner of this ATP Cup? I'd say, uh, from a prestige standpoint, not so much. But I will look at it as in terms of the winner, whoever wins it, I'll look at how they performed that week. What impressed me? What are some new things mm-hmm. that they worked on? You know, uh, you know, how will they carry that confidence into the ATP Cup? You know, how tired will they be? That's the other thing, is that they're playing this back-to-back now. So, you know, how, how much of a physical and emotional mental toll will that take for the winner? Um, you know, what was the draw like? The, you know, those kind of things. Um, like, you know, I'll be interested to see how our top four guys do this week at the ATP Cup since they're all playing the Medvedev, uh, the Medvedev and team and uh, Nadal Djokovic, but also Sitsipas and Zverev. So, yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's not much prestige, not necessarily prestige. I'd, I'd just, you know, I'd, I'd look at it as any other tournament, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say uh, prestige is definitely not the word that I would have chosen, that I would choose to yeah. assign those players. I feel like, uh, if anything, I'm just excited to see them play, exactly. but like whether they win or not, it's like whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. I, yeah. I don't see this as a, as a make or break title yeah. for either of them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it can be a good indicator of how players will exactly. play in Melbourne. Like, I think we saw Djokovic play well there last year. He was the favorite for Australia, ended up winning it. But... Um, like when he won it, I thought it ranks pretty low in his career accomplishments. I don't assign it as much prestige as I would Davis Cup. Um, so I think I, I think its importance is kind of magnified by the fact that it's a team tournament. So I think whichever team wins it will feel a huge sense of accomplishment uh, because they'll have shared it with their teammates. But I think in terms of tennis achievements, it doesn't mean that yeah, much. Yeah, I also want to point out that at the Western and Southern Open, not Cincinnati, you know, all the four players that made the semifinals, they all lost to week one of the U.S. Open. So that's something to keep an, yeah. keep an eye on. You know? <laughs> These lead up some way to tell you so much. But uh, which American man yeah. and American woman will go furthest at the Australian Open? That's a really good question. I don't <sighs> even know who, a great question. which American player is in the Australian yeah, I mean, Open, aside maybe from Sam Yeah, tennis. Because yeah, Isner yeah, pulled is out. Isner um, spending time with his family, so he decided to... Corda, who would have been Korda's, my pick, Korda's is not playing, playing because he missed yeah, the Corda's yeah, Which playing. turned out yeah. to be a good decision for him because Del Rey finally picked up a lot yeah, exactly. of points. Did well in Del Rey. Challenger, yeah. he's still in yeah. the Challenger this week. He's in the semis. Yeah. So that's cool yeah, for him. American yeah, American woman. Uh, oh, so American woman, I'll, uh, I'll answer that. Williams. I think either Serena or, like, I mean, there's... See, the thing is, man, like, Sloane Stephens is, like, such a problem in these draws. Like, you just never know. Like, she's 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 like uh, yeah. she's a nightmare for she, me. She can like, take out anyone or she could lose Because I would two not be shocked if round. she lost yeah. first round 2-2, two and two, but I'd also not be shocked if she made the semis. So it's like, <laughs> geez, yeah, I mean, exactly. like, Serena's the safe bet because you know she's been at least getting to the later rounds, you know? I mean, I, I really mm-hmm. like what I saw from Jen Brady. If she plays the way she did at the U.S. Open, I think she'll go the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jen Brady is my pick. I think um, she didn't do well at Roland Garros, but she should still have the confidence from how well she did at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Um, Australian Open's a hard court as well. Uh, she gave Osaka like a, a huge fight, so yeah. I think yeah, she's my pick. I think yeah. I mean, I... Although I'm, I'm honestly not that confident yeah. in the pick. Uh, I think Brady, Serena, w- one of those. Yeah. 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 Which 
And uh, I want to lead that up to a oh, question. Wait, oh, oh, although Kenan is American as well. Kenan is right? American, yeah. Oh, jeez. There, there are so many. This, it, it is not right. even close between the men. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just for, a for desert. The men, uh, I'll just quickly say, I think, um, yeah, Tennis Sandgren, I mean, she's, as much as we all wouldn't want that, uh, I mean, you just, we just never know because he's made two out of the three. Um, AO, will you yeah. do that again? Cor- Probably not, like... honestly. The thing is, for yeah, me, I mean, is, uh, I'll give you two names. I think, so, so yeah, last year I saw Taylor Fritz played really well. At the Australian mm. Open, he came back from two it's sets above down against Anderson. Uh, he took a set off of team, I guess, as well. That's a good result, you know. So mm. uh, absolutely. So I mean, if he can replicate that, which is honestly third, fourth round, if he can get to that, mm. I think he might be the last American man standing, really. And then mm. I think yeah. I think Riley Opelka with that serve. I mean, you just never know, right? Opelka is mm. playing as well. Um, he can move as well. He I consider him to be a better version of John Isner in the future because <laughs> yeah, he's just be. got a better backhand. He can. You know, his forehand isn't as good as his nerves, but, you know, I mean, with the weapons, with his serve, his movement, he moves well for a big guy, better than Isner did. Covers more court, mm-hmm. you know. So I feel like, Probably yeah, one of those two. Probably a bit of a better backhand as yeah, well. definitely mm-hmm. better backhand, for sure. Yeah, definitely. okay. I'll, I'll say my picks are Fritz and Kennan. Kennan. Mm. Fritz, oh yeah, Kennan. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just look about him. I forgot yeah, about the defending champion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot oh about this too. Um, there, there's no many strong. I'm going to go with because yeah. I feel like she's she's so scrappy and so mentally tough. I mean, she's gonna yeah, she's a nightmare. I mean, you can rely on her at least. Like she's gonna yeah, she's gonna fight tooth and nail. Yeah, because she, she went yeah. deeper yeah. than Garros too. Yeah. She so. went the final, right? And, and, and by the way, wasn't she injured? Yeah, in the last. Not that it would have made much of a difference, it seems. But like uh, right, regardless, right. she she had a little bit of a problem in the in her. Yeah, on, in the second set against Fiontech, yeah. she had a little bit of tape and mm. on her left leg. But yeah. I mean, like, what an effort for her to even get to the final there with yeah. all those three set it, matches. And yeah. yeah, she's just so tough. And you know, we we saw what she was able to do last year. And mm. you know, this year yeah. the pressure. People keep talking yeah. about the pressure. Like, will it get to her? The thing is ranking points wise there's there's a huge pressure release off her back because she's oh yeah either way she's gonna her ranking won't drop so i feel like and because there's just (laughs) just so many other storylines i think people will forget about her the way we just did so it's just it's it's the way it is but yeah yeah, it's a good question i want to i want to lead up uh with the the question that was asked by um pusher t at pusher t7 Mm -hmm. um which is who is the ao australian open uh, bigger for Williams or Nadal? Williams, Ooh. of course, being um, Serena Williams. Here. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'll I'll give a quick answer mm. to this. I think um we could get into the goat debate, so I'll try yeah, to keep it quick. I think, uh, I think it's smaller. Yeah, I, I think it's smaller for Serena. I consider her to be the outright slam holder yeah. already because I, I think Margaret Quartz has a huge asterisk. Uh, those eleven Australian Opens had way weaker draws than what Serena's faced. She's won seven of them oh. already. Um, but Nadal could take the major record unopposed. I think Federer's is closer to his than what Quartz is to Serena's, um, and it'd give him the double uh, career slam. So I'll go with Nadal. Yeah. yeah, same here. Actually, I was thinking, even regardless about like whatever goat debate is, is um, in terms of career achievements, like personally, um, we we got both of them holding the uh, possibility of having the most grand slams in the open era. Um, Nadal alone and Serena tying, um, but Nadal has the advantage of it being not the advantage, but the the, the extra um, achievement of being the double career slam. Whereas for Williams, it could have mm-hmm. been in the Australian Open, it could have been Roland Garros or anywhere else. She could yeah. win in it and take the twenty fourth. 
Um, and if Nadal yeah. wins the 21st somewhere else, like Roland Garros, he would still not have the double career Grand Slam. So I feel like for him, mm-hmm. yeah. Australian Open in particular holds a very important um, place in his calendar, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't have much to mm-hmm. add because you guys said everything pretty much. I, mm-hmm. I'm also going with Nadal for this just because I also think if it was Wimbledon or something, it might be bigger for Serena because that's really, to be honest with you, that's probably her best shot if she's going to get to mm-hmm. 24. Um, yeah. I think I don't see it being anywhere other than Wimbledon, really, because of the mm-hmm. just how good she is on grass, even when she's not moving well, you know? Exactly. So I feel like, and then for mm-hmm. Nadal, yeah. like you said, everything on the line, he's been so close, you know, four finals, you know, three, twice mm-hmm. he was up a break in the fifth set in 2012 yeah. and 2017. 2014 had that really tough luck, uh, tough luck in the final. He hurt his back. He was mm-hmm. 12 and now going to the match against Stan. Never lost you know, and to stand for such a big favorite. Yeah. So yeah, no, no one wins 27 sets in a row against Stan <laughs> exactly. Franco. So yeah, that I'm was a, that was a quote by a uh, Gerolides, right? Like nobody, yeah, nobody no, wins right. 17 uh, matches. Yeah, in exactly. a row. Yeah, nobody beats <laughs> Gerolides. Yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah. No. This is, this is yeah. one of my best yeah. quotes in tennis. I don't even uh, care. Like, yeah. 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 Like whenever I play tennis, I'm going to say like, no one wins like 20 points in a row against someone or something. Yeah. Yeah, This is a good question from Sadat right Um, right here. Um, You know, do you value the weeks at number one during the pandemic stricken 2020? For instance, Ash Barty didn't play a single match after the lockdown. She kept her number one ranking and accumulated more weeks due to the new rules. Is that really as valuable as earned at other times? So the question, so is it really as valuable? I don't think it's as valuable, but here's the, but here's the, here's the other part of it is that, 2019, she was the best player in the world, right? She was she was massively number one, mm-hmm. just because she mm-hmm. won the French Open, she won Miami, she won three other titles, she won the WTA Finals. So from that standpoint, she absolutely deserved to be number one up until March of 2020. Then the rankings froze until August. So then she resumed in August, and it just so turned out that all her results at the back end of 2020, just because they were so good, like post-US Open, especially I remember the indoor swing, and also even like Wimbledon mm-hmm. and other you know, tournaments that weren't played. She was just able to ride on her 2019 results. Is it really as valuable? No, I don't think so. But at the same time, um, you know, she just, she couldn't play because of, uh, because of the Australian Open. So the thing is, even if she did play a single match in most of these tournaments and she didn't do as well, she would have still kept the number one ranking. <laughs> so I think, yeah. yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it, it kind of depends on what kind of number one. I think, in, in the example of Barty, so she deserves all the credit in the world for her massive ascent to number one, played some insane tennis in 2019, but since she didn't play a match, mm-hmm. like, am I, will I have a problem with saying ask Barty, like, number one or former number one? Absolutely not. But if someone says she was number one for, like, yeah. all of 2020, I would say, I would asterisk that. But for Djokovic, um, I think his are more, I won't say legitimate, but I think they won't be asterisked because he still did win the Australian Open. He still won Rome and Cincinnati, and he was still pretty much the yeah, best player in the either, world, even though he wasn't he dropping points. He equaled or did better than all of his results in second half of 2019 in 2022. So, yep. you know, he, yeah, and he had the most points won in 2020. And so I think, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Andre, what do you think? Um, I, I think the same. It's, it's really a tough situation here to like saying, about value, I feel like the, the the people that have most to gain with having tennis, uh, or, or rather the the biggest reward of the rest of the 2020 season in tennis was tennis itself, because like the at the end of the day, like 
everybody was lucky that for for us that we could watch some tennis and for players that they could play some and get some money um so it was good for them so in terms of like the weeks and number one just kind of like it's no one's fault but if objectively um if it's as valuable yeah not really right i mean she didn't she didn't have to earn yeah. any of the points that she she, she just kept yeah. them yes. so that's that's good for him for her <laughs> it's um, good for her records one... it inflates the <laughs> total weeks at number one so yeah, much like exactly. she's in the top tw- top 10 for yeah. all-time women you know total weeks at number one and yeah. she's about to oh, surpass yeah. like Wozniacki and Halep you know who, who spent oh, that's, years that's, and years yeah. like he spent weeks and weeks at, top, yeah, at that, number one. That's definitely going to have an asterisk on Wikipedia. Yes. Oh yeah, I, I, I think that I think that's going to have way more yeah. of an asterisk than the U.S. But Open it, did yeah. last year. But the, for the other thing as well, too, that I was thinking, and I'm not entirely sure, uh, the ranking systems for last year was a little bit of not exactly um, straightforward. So she wasn't the only one who benefited from the the yeah, rankings. I mean, Roger Federer benefited. Roger Federer yeah. benefited. Yes. I mean, oh, yeah. and everybody else who was on tour, regardless if they played or not, they would have kept their points. So yeah. it feels like if um, lots of players could have potentially add to to their rankings, and they 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 didn't, or you know, it probably made it a little bit harder because you cannot like double down on points. For example, Rafa Nadal wouldn't have finished like with four thousand points for Roland Garros. So, right. um, but yeah, I feel like. Yeah. There was a little bit of a chance that she could have lost her her number one ranking. She's not that far off, by the way. I think from the second place, uh, but yeah. yeah, it's because of the fact that she didn't play, and absolutely nothing against her decision of not playing. By the way, it's oh yeah, it's uh, in her position. I I can yeah, like, say it's thing. it's honestly not a problem at all that she didn't. But the but it, to say that this is as as valuable as two thousand and nineteen, no, no, it, it, it isn't. So short yeah, answer yeah. is no way. Yes, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is this is Should yeah, we do one or, one or two, two more and wrap it up? Last or? couple. I think uh yeah, I mean we kinda sort of already answered this. Outside of Djokovic, Serena, and Nadal, which man or woman stands to gain the most from an AO title? Jeez, man, I I, I think this is yeah, a cool question. Because that's a we different pick question, from yeah. like the outside the top mm-hmm. ten maybe. Yeah. Gain I feel the like, most, yeah. But I think that's a, that's an interestingly worded question yeah. because when you say like it stands to gain the most, it's not necessarily asking who was who realistically yeah. can win this, you know? So that's the yeah. right. the thing. I, I don't the, the way I'm gonna look at this is just like who whose career would like take the biggest <laughs> jump from yeah. it, I guess. And so um what a name that popped in my head was maybe a. Uh, Karen Hachinov, uh-huh. I think he's been he's been slumping for a little bit. He's playing below his potential. If he were to win the Australian Open out of nowhere, I think he would go from uh, like a low point to a massive, massive high. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I would say whereabouts like past like top five. Um, Stefanos Tsitsipas, if he wins the Australian oh, Open, good. I think it's going to be an incredible statement from him, and uh, he's he will definitely reach the point of. Um, the potential that he he can show that he of the player that he can be um, touted for many as the future as a future number one, I feel like winning the Australian Open would just be massive for him, especially uh, considering Nadal and Djokovic and Medvedev and team all in the draw, um, and you know also the likes of Zverev um, in there as well. It seems like a really big um, title that he would he would definitely enjoy winning um, more than yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, and and I'll just say he could silence a lot of doubters by winning it. I think he already did by um, 
with his Roland Garros performance, but I remember after he choked to Chorich at the U.S. Open, I was doing my recency bias thing and tweeting, like, Tsitsipas could be finished for the next three years, <laughs> like, because of how he handled the Vavrinka loss at the French in 2019. Um, and so I think if he were to win a major, um, people would start to have a lot more faith in his Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great pick, and he's going to have a lot of crowd support as well from the crowds that do come in. I think he's popular, and, you know, he's done well here semis two years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, if he if he were to win it, that'd be huge. Just imagine, you know, that's just imagine that occasion of him giving the speech and the unique personality yeah. that he is. I would love that. Oh yeah, that would be so fun. <laughs> yeah, just how it how how it'll come across, especially how honest he is in interviews and yeah. I mean, that would be that would be massive. Not not only for Greece, but just for tennis as a whole. I think to have a star like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a really good pick. I think either him or, and again, if team can go one step further, because he was so close last year, two sets to one up in the final. Uh, you know, if he mm-hmm. can finally win that EO title, that would silence all of the people who said that, you know, who asterisked the US Open. So, so I yeah, think... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Especially yeah. if he beat Djokovic, that could, that, that would put him in maybe all-time great status yes. for a lot and of people. And on the, on the woman's side, I think I would pick Barty. Yeah. For standing to I, I would games. honestly pick anybody who's won one slam already, but needs to win one more. <laughs> so, yeah. so I wouldn't pick I wouldn't pick or, yeah. though. I think I, I think yeah. it, it's like a, it, it would be more like a nice to have for her. I feel like for Buddy, it's just like going to release so much weight off of her. Kind of like when um, Murray won Wimbledon, when Murray but won a, Wimbledon. on a smaller mm-hmm. scale. But like uh, you know, it would be it would be interesting. Yeah. Yes. For, for the woman, I'm going to say Pliskova mm. because for so many years, mm. uh, I think now maybe she's the best player not to have won a major. Or she's up yes. there at least, and she hasn't had a great performance at a major for a while. So I think this this would take a massive weight off her shoulders. It'd kind of be like Wozniacki winning the U- the Australian in 2018. That kind of feeling, just on a bit of a smaller I scale. Agree, yeah, either Svitolina or Pliskova for me. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, Svitolina is good. Yeah. yeah. All right, this is the and, last uh, question we got here. Are you guys ready? More likely, this is also from Pusha T. Yeah. Russia wins the ATP Cup or mm. Medvedev wins the Slam. I think we already answered it, right? We're we're going for Medvedev mm. winning a Slam. I we're just probably think, going for Medvedev. Yeah. I think Russia winning the ATP Cup. The problem with that is that it, it comes down to the doubles and the number two players, you know. And mm. I, I, yeah, yeah, it's like Medvedev has to play well, but yeah, so do and, and I do and think others. like they can get to the final or something. Like it's it's possible, like finals, semis for sure, because they're 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 in Japan yeah. and Argentina's group, and no disrespect to those countries, but they're the superior country there. So if yeah. they get there, especially then, with yeah. tennis wise, yes, tennis wise, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I should be clear. Just, just only based on tennis players. You know, we're we're talking strictly, strictly about tennis. tennis. This is players. not a politics got, podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll come around. Yeah. They are two players yeah. in the top ten, so I mean, how can they not be right? Yeah, yeah, and and then so yeah. then I think it'll just have to come down to the doubles. And if they meet like Spain in the final, like Spain has the best doubles players and singles players, you know. So it's like because they have Bautista, right. Agut, and Nadal, and Nadal is so good at doubles, they just feel like if he yeah. plays that final doubles match, yeah. Yeah, I'm picking him. Uh, although keep in mind he didn't last year he was too tired from his match against yeah, Djokovic yeah. so if Medvedev grinds him down maybe he takes yeah, him out of the sure, doubles as think, well yeah I mean they have a they have a strong doubles team anyway I mean like I think PBC, PCB sure. is pretty good at doubles I think uh, they have Mark Lopez Mark Lopez has won the gold medal with Nadal so and he's got mm, yeah. a great doubles game it'd be interesting he's a double yeah. specialist so I think yeah I mean that that's the thing it's going to be one versus one and two versus two so yeah so so what's more likely then Winning a slam, I think. 
Mm. Winning a slam. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Medvedev just winning a slam just because that's depending on one guy instead yes. of depending on several mm. guys. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I'm I'm leaning more towards that one, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like I, I could yeah. be very wrong about this. Medvedev's disappointed us before Rublev's on the upswing, so uh could Oh yeah, you, you never really know honestly, except for Nadal winning Roland Garros. Uh, uh Brian, we were just talking about Sitsipas. There is one other question that I'd be uh this person would give me some grief if I didn't answer this one. So I'm gonna ask this. <laughs> uh-huh. He said, um as an add on to this question, what is your thoughts? on Greece's inclusion in the ATP Cup. And the thing is the the whole thing about the ATP Cup, I, I'm still I'm still a little bit confused on, you know, like sort of like like I know the countries qualifying the countries that qualify is based on their number one singles player. So the fact that Greece mm. is in it, I mean that's mm-hmm. purely due to Stefano Tsitsipas being number six in the world, I would think. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's really ironic considering that the ATP Cup is a team tournament and yet this is defined by yeah, one player. Yeah, it's defined by their top player. And so it's like... I mean, this, yeah. this definitely screams that the ATP Cup is just an excuse to have the top eight players play against each other again, in, in a way. Oh, yeah. it's, it's kind of like we, we didn't have enough... Um, it's just kind of saying our our biggest ATP tour uh, tournament which isn't by held by the I, ITF, which are the Grand Slams, is at the end of the year, and so many players are injured. Let's have a tournament right at the beginning of the season right. where every single good player is in so that they can put on a show yeah. so we have better highlights and nobody questions. Yeah, well, yeah. let's get our Djokovic Medvedev in before the, the schedule just destroys their yeah. bodies. Yeah, so I, exactly. I mean, so this, this because... And honestly, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't care. Because if, if you get good matches and the players are engaged in it, that's fine. Like we can t- yeah. yeah, I mean, it was great. We can theory. talk about the records book later on the on the more important tournaments, but for for match fun and entertainment, yeah. that's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say like we did give Titi Fass's cousins some grief <laughs> in the last podcast. Um, and look, I, I have nothing against Greece being, and I think it's nice that a couple lower ranked players get a chance to play on a yeah, big stage. Sure. But I also think like it's ridiculous that one player can decide can basically be the reason why a team qualifies like what what's to stop one country from producing a number one player in the world so they won't have anyone else in the top thousand then they could qualify <laughs> for this it's like it just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of yeah. sense to me so i think like i i guess maybe i'll be able to answer this question better after the atp cup and we can see how um the the grecian players besides yeah, hold up. It's, it's, it goes back to the larger theme mm. of like we, we we all a lot of people in tennis just don't know why the atp cup even exists but it's yeah. it's it's great great yeah, entertainment I mean, that, like, like entertainment with a capital e so yeah like yeah i mean again it was great but there was there was yeah, no need for it yeah, to exist yeah, in the first like, place we don't yeah. really need this but yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll take it no. you know great matches yeah. week one let's yeah. go yeah. and uh, I, I i mean i would have a question for you guys to finish to finish up and uh yeah. this is very on the speculative side and it's about a player that's not even uh going to be around for now but it's um do you guys think Roger Federer can win another Grand Slam? Oh, again, Oof. with this question. <laughs> the same Regardless question of goal debates, just current, current situation, yeah, I mean, I mean, competitive look, field. I'll say this. If he plays at his 2019 level, he was 10 centimeters away from winning Wimbledon and beating mm-hmm. Nadal and yeah. Djokovic back-to-back. So the question is if he can get back to that level. And hmm. the best chance for him to win a major is going to be at Wimbledon, you know? Mm-hmm. French Open, yeah. doubt he'll even play it. You know, yeah. U.S. Open, he hasn't won it since 2008. You know, and yeah. 
I mean, he could skip that, honestly, yeah. just throw so, everything so I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, if, if his if his knees, it all depends on his knees and his, his and how fresh he is and his, his health. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to, really. And then that level itself, yeah. you're talking about just level of play? Yeah, it's there. You can win a slam with that level. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm saying I, I have to see yes. how well he can move because if he if he moves at 2019 levels, he goes to Wimbledon. Let's say someone takes out Djokovic in the third round. Guess which guy becomes the Absolutely. favorite? But I'm not I'm not I'm not optimistic mm-hmm. about how his knees are going to hold up. He's is he 40? Yes, he's going to be 40, 40, in August. 40 in August. Yeah, so he will be yes, just short yes, of so 40 it, in Wimbledon. It's, it's a long time. Yeah, so if I had to say between yes or no, I'm going to yeah. say yeah. no. But. Like, would is it possible? And, and that's yeah, the thing about but his I'd give it too. like fifteen eighty-five yeah, I mean, or something. I mean, like, like that's the thing about his movement too is that I think on grass, you know, he can kind of hide that a little bit better than he can on the other surfaces. Yeah, where that yeah. that will be less exposed. Yeah. Big serve for him. Less exposed, yeah. but yeah, I mean, the way he played last year, like if if he just can get back yeah. to that level, honestly, from mm-hmm. Dubai to yeah. Wimbledon last yeah, but, year, that was that was quite good. You mean two thousand nineteen? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, so I can't say, say, I can't year say year last year, but you know, um, the, the last year that Federer yeah. played, yeah, yeah, <laughs> was you know there's yeah. also the yeah, like and, Open. and like you said, Fonch, um, it, it does have to be at Wimbledon. Yeah. Now I don't think he can do it yeah. on the hard courts yes. anymore, even though he won the Australian in 2018. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm so thing... curious to see like how yeah. does he look when he comes back? I believe he's playing Doha, yeah. you know, March first yeah, to March seventh. Yeah, uh, yeah. which team is going to be the number one seed in that? So imagine if we get a Team Federer final, which really that'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd be very telling. I have one main concern about Federer's winning a chance, uh, winning chance of a Grand Slam in a Grand Slam this year, which is whether Wimbledon happens, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's still rather up in the air. Like Maybe, they're but... probably kind of having a lot of meetings right now as we speak, because um, there was a new variant of COVID in the UK. Yeah. Brexit's happening. There's a lot of ifs happening right now in terms of traveling and things like that. They, I don't yeah. know whether they would opt for a bubble if things are bad. If they would opt for like a postponing it again, I think mm-hmm. I am optimistic that it will happen. But I won't put it past um, this pandemic that Wimbledon will not happen again. Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they had pandemic insurance, so they didn't take as huge of a financial hit as other tournaments did. So they could at least afford to yeah. skip yeah. it again. It's not like um, it's not like it'll go under. Yeah, the question is, can they afford to do that for two years in a row? I mean, that's going to be a lot of loss. Right. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's what I'm wondering. Big, yeah. I, I, I think big. most likely they'll have it without fans. Mm, um, it's possible. Yeah, that's that's probably the most yeah. likely option. And, and honestly, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, I miss grass court I miss tennis. That too. There were there were like two grass court tennis tournaments, and uh, if you read a. Uh, like our listeners check this out judson wall wrote at tennis and aloha wrote like a massive piece kind of uh, a summation of all the tournaments that happened in uh 2020 and i think like overall there were like two tournaments on grass in 2020 both in australia worth a total of like i don't know 40 atp yeah. points or something like without wimbledon like th- there was just nothing on yeah. grass yeah for sure yeah it's an important and, tournament uh, also for the yeah. uh, for the uh economy of tennis just because there's so many people who work in the lta and so many people like they give a lot of good funding to yeah. lower ranked players. That's the other thing they did is they gave yeah. a lot of good funding to Brits coming up, especially juniors, and you know because they're the country that yeah. holds that slam. That's incredibly important for the ecosystem in um, places like Scotland yeah. and Great Britain and the juniors coming up there. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, and it's also the yeah. oldest tennis tournament for a lot of people. Wimbledon yes. is tennis, yeah. so it it didn't feel quite right for yeah. for it not to happen. So we'll, we'll really hope that we get yeah. it back in twenty twenty one safely. And uh, on that note, that covers pretty much all the questions that were asked to us. Some of them were kind of um, answered because they were very similar to the other. Um, but we had a lot of fun. It was really great to talk about those things in a non-tweet tweet way. <laughs> so this, yeah. this yeah. was really cool. This so was quite a great thank potpourri. you guys for being here. This was quite a great, yeah. uh, great yeah. potpourri. Well, loved it. And, you know, I initially we'll got definitely that do idea. that more times in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's do it again. And gotta love that talking doesn't have any character limits. So yeah, we'll uh, be on the lookout in the future. We will ask for your questions again. Thanks, thanks for submitting and yeah. listening. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for participating and talking a lot and presenting so much uh, good inputs about and insights about tennis. Uh, for so many uh, stats. It's always uh, like showering stats on us, like when you participate, which <laughs> yeah. is lovely. So thank you so much. I just can't guys. help myself, can I? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're. You are going to become a tennis historian. I, I would bet on it. I wish somebody but, yeah, listening to yeah, this, yeah, you, you know, I'm, I'm I'm available for for any help. You know, H- hook him so, up. Yeah. yeah, hire him. You know, give me available. a job. <laughs> He's good with numbers. <laughs> yeah. All right. So thank you guys so much. Make sure to follow us uh, for the next time, uh, the poopery, so you can ask us questions. Um, Vonsh is at Vonsh V2K. I am at Rollenberg Andre. Uh, and Owen is at Tennis Nation. All of this is going to be in the description of this episode. Um, and thanks for listening. It's all on the pa- on all platforms, wherever you get your podcast from. And uh, have a good weekend. Um, whenever you listen to this po- podcast, and and have a good tennis season. See y'all. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.